the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast. Jason Skaggs would never lie to you. And I am your host, Nick DeGilio. How you doing? Uh, it is episode number 145 of the Nick D Podcast here at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Uh, the best podcast network in the world. And uh, we are expanding here at Radio Misfits, as I've mentioned before. Um, uh, we have now at Radio Misfits has a live 24-7 streaming service. It's like a radio station, 24-7, live, happening all the time. You can turn it on, tune into it. There's awesome stuff happening 24-7, and it's radiomisfits.live. Live is right in the title, radiomisfits.live. Um, and you can check it out with uh, great music from unheard uh, bands. The Unheard Music Show is played uh, all the time. And uh, episodes of the best and awesome podcasts that are available at radiomisfits.com. Um, including mine. My two podcasts run daily at radiomisfits.live, and that's every day at 9 a.m. You can hear my Saturday Night Live podcast. That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast, daily at 9 o'clock uh, a.m. That's uh, Central Time. And you can hear this very podcast right now that you are listening to. Perhaps you are listening to it as it is streaming live on radiomisfits.live, and that is every day at 3 p.m. daily. So, Every morning at 9 a.m., it's the SNL podcast. That show hasn't been funny in years. And every afternoon at 3 p.m. is the Nick D podcast at radiomisfits.live. We're very excited about this. It's fantastic. It's a great way to reach more people and to get the music that, w- that, that is new out there, to get all the podcasts that are part of this family of Radio Misfits out there. Uh, very happy about what's happening. Ed is very excited. Everybody at Radio Misfits is very, very happy about it. And we want you to be a part of it. So check us out. Streaming live, great programming, 24-7, seven days a week, 9,000 million uh, moments of uh, a year. <laughs> Whatever that goddamn uh, Rent song is, 3,600, 3,6500, yeah, that. Uh, it's happening 24-7. So basically that's what's happening. You can hear my podcasts uh, every day. Uh, Live, so make sure you check it out and uh, subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends and your neighbors and your enemies and the Jagoff subscribe to this podcast subscribe to my SNL podcast which is the uh, the the uh, uh, that show hasn't been funny in years an SNL podcast subscribe to that too tell your friends tell your neighbors rate and review us on every platform spread the word give us feedback be a part of this podcast hey you know what now is the time to start advertising with the Nick D podcast uh, on this podcast, and uh, you can hear it also on the streaming. Get your sponsorship in there. You got it. You got a business you want to advertise. We reach a lot of people, folks. So get in there. Advertise with the Nick D podcast. Send an email saying I want to be an advertiser on the Nick D podcast. Send it to sales at radiomisfits.com. Do it today. Don't miss out. You can also be a part of this podcast anytime you want, 24-7. Voicemail us, 773-417-6948. You got a magic megaphone request, which we're going to get to one 
uh, in a little bit, you want to drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That email address, that voicemail um, number, that's where you can uh, leave your comments, leave your questions. We want to hear from you. We listen to every single voicemail. We read every single email, and we play many of them back and listen to many uh, to all of them and play them back as, or read them uh, live as well. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to that. We do have a voicemail from Kevin in Brookfield. Hey, Nick. Uh, this is uh, Kevin from Brookfield, Illinois. I listened to your show for uh, many years, but I work security overnight, so I really have a good call in. Um, listen, I want to just tell you, I really love the SNL podcast. Uh, it's it's great. I mean, uh, I've been watching it for years, and anyway. And hey, I, I got a question for you too, man. I was just wondering, um, who is the guy that you used to have on your old show? And I think it was like the Whizgiz guy. Um, I think Dick uh, Dick D. Or Tolo, or something. I think that was his name. Well, I was just wondering if uh, if you ever have him back on your show again, your podcast uh, that you had. Um, anyway, yeah, that was uh, really neat when you used to have him on the show. So, uh, and also some of the old uh, musical guests that you used to have on uh, the old uh, now what's referred to as the car wash. Um, anyway, um, thanks, Nick, and uh, really enjoyed the podcast, and uh, keep up the good work, man. Take it easy. Bye. Thank you, Kevin. That's really nice. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for listening to the SNL podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope more people do listen to it. Uh, I love doing the podcast. The feedback that I've been getting for the SNL podcast has been great. If you're a fan of the SNL podcast and you don't subscribe, what the hell is wrong with you? Subscribe right now. It's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Uh, and uh, if you're not a fan of the show, you should also subscribe. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for listening to that podcast and, uh, and getting a lot of good feedback on that. So make sure you check it out. Um, uh, new episodes every Wednesday here at RadioMisfits.com, and you can hear it every day at 9 a.m. at Radio Misfits Live. Um, and yes, Kevin, uh, Dick DiBertolo, um, I have reached out to him a couple of times, and we've had some scheduling issues. I want to get Dick back on. Dick is not only the gizmo guy and the electronics uh, wizard, um, who appears everywhere covering you know uh, uh, electronic stuff and really cool gadgets and stuff. But he's an original writer uh, for Mad Magazine, an original writer for game shows, including Match Game. He invented uh, a, a lot of the classic characters that you hear on Match Game, like your Fat Fridas and your Dumb Donalds and all that, all that stuff. Um, you know, he was the guy who kind of invented the tongue-in-cheek, you know, double entendre type type uh, uh, questions that they would do on the show. And he was one of my heroes. The guy wrote for Mad Magazine. The guy wrote for Mad Magazine. He still writes for Mad Magazine. Um, and it's great to have him on. It's, it, we've been trying to get him back on. And the scheduling has been a little bit weird, but I'm still working on it. I will get Dick DiBartolo back on the podcast, I promise. Uh, one of my favorite guests. As far as like the music and the bands and stuff like that, um, you know, there is this show called The Unheard Music Show that's on here at uh, Radio Misfits um, where you're going to hear unsigned bands. And a lot of the bands that I've uh, had on the show in the past, I've referred to uh, to 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 give their stuff to uh, the unheard uh, music uh, show at Radio Misfits, and that stuff is played twenty four seven. All those new music, all that new music, and really cool bands, you can hear that at Radio Misfits Live twenty four seven. That's part of the programming uh, at Radio Misfits Live. So that's a great outlet to see that stuff. But yeah, Dick D. Bartolo, I'll get him back on, Kevin. I promise. So anyway, uh, so thanks for that voicemail. You leave your voicemails at 773-417-6948. Your emails at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on this uh, uh, program, the lovely Amy Guth, my old buddy. I love her. Uh, Amy Guth is going to be here. She has made a movie. 
and she has been, uh, you know, giving us all the details on, uh, you know, from the inception to the casting to this to that. Well, she shot it, and she's now putting it together, and it's going to be out. So she's made a movie. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about her podcast and a bunch of other really cool stuff. Always great to talk to the wonderful, the lovely Amy Guth. Esmeralda Leon is going to join me, as she always does, and you know this person. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. Hi, I'm Carrie yep. Russell, and I love Nick's show. With Esmeralda, we're going to talk more about TV and movie characters that don't behave like normal human beings. We also have a megaphone message to, uh, to talk about. And my dad is going, to call, is going to call in. No, he's not going to call in. He's going to come to my apartment, and he's going to tell a joke. So that's all coming up uh, on the podcast. So the beautiful Amy Guth, the beautiful uh, Esmeralda Leon, I get to talk to two very talented, very funny, very extraordinarily uh, brilliant ladies uh, today. So it's a good day for me and a good day for you. So make sure you, uh, you stay tuned and listen. And, uh, and I know that you need to be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. Yeah, that's it. There it is. Now I feel like we're I always feel like we're at a rave, Amy, whenever I introduce always, you. Always, every time. <laughs> and we are kind of every time we talk. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. I'm all right. Good. And we uh, haven't talked well, we talked you know, we talk pretty regularly on the show and we did talk the last time regularly, but a lot of stuff has happened in between last time we talked and this time. Uh but holy bef- moly, so much. Be- before <laughs> we get into the incredible stuff that you've been doing. Uh, I want to welcome Amy back to, to, to the show. Uh, Amy and I have a, have, have, a, have a great history of working together back in the Trib Tower um, yep. and uh, back at, uh, at, the, at, at the, the car wash radio station, um, <laughs> uh, as we call it now, as Steve Cochran and yep. I refer to it. Um, and uh, Amy and I have uh, gotten along for a long time, and uh, I used to precede her show on Saturdays, so we used to do crosstalk mm-hmm. and have all kinds of fun. And now, uh, and uh, we got reconnected at Tom Hush's wedding. Like, yeah, we how, did. I mean, it was years since we saw each other, Amy. And then, yeah, yeah I mean, God, it had been, it was, yeah, at least four or five years, at least. And yeah. then, and then there we were sitting next to each other at Tom Hush's wedding, and at the obviously the awesome table with all the cool kids. Yeah. Um, and we, we just, for a minute, all those cool kids went away because we had some stuff to talk about and unpack. <laughs> and we had such a good talk. And everybody knew it. Everybody was like, give them some room. They got, yeah. some, they got some things to discuss. <laughs> yeah, and we did. It was like at one point it was just me and you just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I think and, everybody else was like in a conga line or something, but we were yeah. like in it at the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, it was fantastic to reconnect. And then I was like, why are you not a regular on my podcast? I have this podcast thing and we should do that and talk you know at least monthly and so you agreed yeah. to, to be my uh my, my a regular guest on my show and i appreciate that and you uh you fill in whenever esmeralda is out of town at my uh, uh for my zanies gigs super and, fun uh, and i appreciate that and i think you're the best and uh, be- before we jump into what you've been doing 
and you know do a little recap so people are, are familiarizing themselves in case they haven't heard the other episodes that you were on. Uh, you do host, uh, among other things that you do, you do host the Daily Gist podcast, which is part of Crane's business. Um, yeah, that's right. P- please tell me all about that and where people can hear it and how often it happens. Well, it's, it's, it's in the fucking title, Nick, you dumbass. Uh, daily, yeah. <laughs> Angel bear. Yeah, it's in, the, it's in the title. It's right there. So it's, uh, it's weekdays, and it's just kind of the idea of, you know, what can we give to, to folks that, to keep them on top of business news every weekday in Chicago. So it's just kind of four or five stories of here's some things you need to know about. And then I talk to one of the reporters on a bigger, you know, a deep dive story, or I talk to an outside guest occasionally, like an expert to offer some insight about something happening in the world, something like that. I recently interviewed, uh, this is a really fun one. It was kind of a four-part interview. I interviewed some student entrepreneurs at the Venture Cat competition at Northwestern University, you know, they got like a big chunk of change. And some of these, uh, some of these startups have gone on to be really, really successful and that have come out of Northwestern's uh, program, uh, you know, after the kids graduate. So it was really fun to talk, talk with um, the head of the garage, the executive director uh, about the program, and then talk to some of the students. They've got, I was like, you know what, kids are okay. Kids yeah. are going to be fine because <laughs> they had such good heads on their shoulders and they had really cool, smart ideas. All of them were like fixing a problem. None of them were like, this would be cool and weird and fixing like a billionaire only problem. They all had like really cool things. Like one person was gamifying how to, to help music students and teachers I- interact and to get you to practice more. Uh, one of them was uh, trying to encourage companies to carry a wider variety of sizes for women's clothing. So she kind of uh, helps source different size clothing, particularly plus size clothing. She was working on that and like all these cool things that people were working on. And I was very impressed. So we did kind of a, I did kind of a cool interview with them uh, talking about their, their thing. And it was super fun. And that that's about to happen that contest. So we'll see who wins that. Oh, cool. That's very, very cool. Now, I think I've asked you this before. I'm not really sure. But doing a, a podcast um, from the business side of things, how does that change how you look at normal, you know, when you're just like consuming news, even if it's entertainment yeah. news, even if it's just if it's just a, like a neighborhood kind of news or anything like that? Um, you know, because you focus on, on the business side of it and you've been doing that for a long time. You've been, you've been writing from yeah. that, from that perspective for a very long time as a journalist. And I think we may have mm-hmm. talked about this before in terms of how that has changed your writing, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, the, the nonfiction writing that you do, That's right. Uh, how it informs that. But how did, how do you look at daily news in general? Do you sift it through that, through, through that world? Kind of. uh, Yeah. I mean, I think when you're in the business journalism world, you're immediately looking for the business side of every single story. And, you know, we it was interesting. The the Cranes podcast started right around the time of that second big Boeing crash. There were two kind of back to back that led to the worldwide grounding of the 737 MAX aircraft. And, you know, Boeing at the time was still headquartered here in Chicago. So so I followed that so carefully and it filtered into so much of what I do. Like every time I got onto a plane, I never thought about what aircraft I was on. But then I was like, oh, interesting. I'm on a Boeing 787. That was made in so-and-so. Oh, I know where yeah. that got made. I know, you know, yeah. I, I just kind of knew I had more information through which to filter all the information I took in. But I think doing business journalism, you're always kind of looking at the bottom line in a different way. And also, 
um, I think doing that in podcast form where I'm trying to boil down a story to just like one to three minutes long. Sometimes these are huge, long, you know, pieces of reporting. And I'm going to say, what did the Cranes reporter find? What did Bloomberg find? Who else is reporting on this? What have they got? You know, because I'll, I'll say when I'm, when I'm, uh, recording this, the, the audio file, I'll say, you know, s- s- whatever, uh, you know, Bloomberg spoke to so-and-so and they said this, and, you know, maybe on uh, an interview on CNN, this person said this thing, and I'll kind of pull all that together. Um, so I think it's really helped me to learn how to boil a story down even further to just like, what is that main idea? What is that one, one thing that I really want people to know about it? And I think it makes me really, you know, I think all of us that, that have any kind of platform, whether it's audio or writing or whatever, um, where we're dealing with facts and information, I think we have a huge responsibility of language of, because it's very easy to use shorthand for things, but sometimes they're not quite accurate or they become, a thing where they mean a lot of things to different people. And so I've been really careful about the language that I use. I mean, I think even I'm, I'm one, one example is sometimes I, I try to use the word worker more than the word employee. I just think that that kind of keeps a focus in a certain way. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, especially in the business reporting world, there's a lot of focus on landlords who are, have been struggling uh, that own commercial properties like offices because the normalization uh, of, of remote and hybrid work has already happened. The world's yeah. already changed. Yeah. And so it's easy to, to, you know, churn out story after story saying like, oh, won't someone think of the landlords? But really, you know, I think the balance is found in, you know, landlords are looking for solutions because of because remote and hybrid work, the nature of work has changed and remote and hybrid work has become more normalized. And so a lot of office buildings are, are looking for their next thing. And I think that's a more compelling story than a lot of like, oh, no, landlords. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so it's about like boiling things down. But also, I think um, where does in the business world, keeping the focus on it's not just about the leader, but it's also about the worker. It's not just about the landlord. It's also about the nature of work and and that part's been really really interesting to me um to to look at the data and just track that of how things have changed over the last few years of doing that podcast you know it's interesting that uh, you mentioned uh, some of the changes that happen in, uh, in the work environment i i go into uh the wls i'm, I'm on wls with uh, steve cochran right um i'm the film critic for the show uh, and i so I, I go down to the studios down there and it, it's essentially almost everybody works from home now yeah. And I have not been back to the car wash, obviously, since they canned my ass. And sure. So, but like, you know, back in the day, like I was there, you know, at the height of the lockdown. I, I was the only person that was doing a show live from the studios. Yeah. Um, and I was always there late anyway, because I did, you know, my show was on overnights. But, you know, if you would come there during the day, the sales department was, there were tons of people in the sales department. There were people in the traffic department. There were people in the, you know just people buzzing around and like the big bosses were in their offices and blah, blah, blah. So you could walk in and it was like a, a, a buzzing, normal, very populated, uh, uh, you know, office space. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like the pandemic happens, the lockdown happens. Um, and I've not returned to that. Uh, obviously, as I've said, I've not returned to that office, but the WLS office, I mean, you, there, there are, there are tumbleweeds yeah. and I go there on Friday mornings. I'm there on a Friday, you know, and, right. Uh, that used to be a busy day of the week, you know. <laughs> sure, definitely. And, and 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 I know that's happened everywhere. And how has that, you know, just uh, uh, when you interview people who are in the business world who are working, 
uh, how does that, how has that affected like just inner office working? Have you, have you, yeah. you know, like just like, cause you know, you, 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 like you and I began a working relationship because we shared office space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We were in the same building. We were in the same rooms. Yeah. Uh, has, ha, have you gotten a sense of how that's affected people in the business world? I mean, what I hear from leaders really varies very widely based on their leadership style. The people that are pretty um, traditional and very hierarchy driven are the ones that are like, we need to get back to working in an office. And I think a lot of those people, for better or worse, kind of ruled by proximity and didn't and, and haven't necessarily had a really high trust environment. Because if it boils down to I need to see you working to know you're working. That tells me something about you as a leader. And you, I think it's impossible to say, hey, people work better in an office because everyone is different. And I think for a long time, introverts have had to play by extrovert rules and got a chance to see that, hey, life is actually pretty doable when we're doing it our way. Yeah. And and I think they're, they're like, uh, but actually my mental health is way better. So I don't know that I want to give that up. So I think it's impossible to say there's one way that works. And um, I think the leaders that are, are um, coming out ahead right now in terms of like, you know, support from workers are the people that recognize that. Um, mm-hmm. That said, one of my favorite comments that I, that I saw emerge, and I wish he would have, you know, gotten a little more uh, hype for this because I thought it was really important because we've heard so many voices. Um, Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan, uh, he's the CEO, he immediately was like, this is bullshit. We got to get back to work. Like, but it's like, no, people are working. And by you saying that, if I worked for you and you said we have to get back to work, I'd be like, hey, screw you, man. I've been working really hard and holding down my household and taking care of my kids. And, you know, like I am working for you, but you're not you're not seeing my work because you don't physically see me there. Right. Um, the CEO of Harley Davidson, um, he I loved his approach. He was like, um, no, I hire fucking adults and I fucking trust them. Do yeah. what you want, man. And I really liked that he was so unvarnished about it, like that he was very much like um, your your employees are not children. Why would you do that? And he really right. kind of pushed back and took a lot of shit for it. But I but I appreciated that that he was like that. And, you know, I think I don't think anyone's figured it out yet. I think there's a a lot of leaders are like, hey, let's let's get back to how things were when fundamentally things are different. The one thing I think a lot of people are struggling with is what about the younger workers? You know, I have benefited from informal and formal mentorship in my life. And how do you do that when you're not in person? But that said, you know, there's a reporter that I interview re- really regularly and have for the last two or three years that quickly became one of my closest friends because we talk so much and only uh maybe late last summer i met her in person and we stood there talking all of a sudden i was like going wait a minute we've never actually met in person. We've mm. only zoomed yeah. and we would zoom for hours because we would yeah. talk, you know, we do our interview and then talk and talk and talk. So I was like, you know, it's not impossible. Like it's, it's absolutely not impossible to, to bond quite deeply over zoom. And I know that that's changed the relationship I have with plenty of friends and relatives that zoom exists, that we can do that. Right. Yeah. Um, I became an aunt during the pandemic and I'm still about a week out from meeting that, that little child. Um, but I've seen him because we've zoomed, right? Yeah. So he, we've, he's seen me, he's looked at he me. He knows who you are. And he's yeah. Seen, yeah, 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 right, right. So, you know, I think there's, I don't, I think I, I always 
caution blanket statements on anything. So I think, oh, it's oh, it's impossible to 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 help young workers. I don't think that's true. I also think younger workers are are different. Gen Z is doing things very differently than oh, than yeah. Gen Xers like me did, and you know, so um, and and certainly different than millennial workers. The 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 group in between us. So. Um, you know, I, I think we're not there yet. I think we haven't figured it out. And it's interesting to kind of watch that data and watch what people are doing. Cause you know, the, the, the data says we, we are not all, you know, it has changed. We are not all coming back to the offices we were in before the pandemic hit. I mean, for me before the pandemic, I was making so many stops during the day that when I had to switch to working at home, I got about two hours back. Yeah. during the day just yeah. from not having to run around so much and i was like oh and i've i've used those wisely because the, because i've been able to work on other things that i want to do instead of you know taking a train here waiting for this yeah. bus to go here going yeah, here yeah. like i've used that to to do those kind of wouldn't it be neat if i did this kind of project and i've been able to do that and i think a lot of people have so I don't know that people are going to surrender it quickly and be like, yeah, let's just pretend like it's 2019 and nothing ever happened. Right. That said, I also think at some point we've never had a collective day of like grief and release for the pandemic because it became so contentious for, and became so politicized yeah. that, that on some level we need, you know, we have, we have days of remembrance for other things like that. And I think we need not necessarily a day of remembrance, but we need some kind of collective, reset to say like okay it's not over but it's waning it's changing it's much different than it was a few years ago and and let's acknowledge that we lost people i mean i i lost two people um two relatives in the pandemic one my my grandmother died in an old folks home in april of 2020 and none of us were with her and that was very terrible yeah. and then uh an aunt of mine she had covid she was a um she came out of retirement to be as a nurse to administer vaccines and, and like very cruel irony. She died of COVID. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, there's like a, a grief that we haven't had a chance to practice yet and to work through, I think, because we're like, if everybody's going to focus on like, let's all get back to the way things were and pretend like nothing happened, we're not going to have, it will have all, it would have all been in vain. And I think that's bullshit. You know, that's a great, that's a really great point. And uh, yeah, because denial's a son of a bitch. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right. It, denial will fuck you every time. Yeah, abso for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting. It, like a sort of a collective moment to like, you know, things have changed, but we got to remember that time. Because yeah, I mean, we were thrown into it and, yeah. you know, and, you know, the wheels were spinning for a long time as to what do we do now? What happens now? Yeah. And people are still sort of like uh, completely flabbergasted by the whole thing. And like I'm, like I said, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I know that some people, excel from working at home uh and doing things at home like i love doing the podcast from home as opposed oh, to hell like yeah. going into a, going into the radio station or anything like that. but when i do go into the radio station on those friday mornings it's very strange for me to see you know like a like a thriving you know there's there are three radio stations that broadcast from those offices there are mm -hmm. three radio studios you've got there's q101 there's wls fm there's wls am Mm -hmm. And that's three separate radio stations being run with, you know, people that cross over from each one of them and other people that work only at one station at a time. And to walk in there on a Friday, you know, <laughs> and like see nobody there. Like I'm like, but the vending machines are fully stocked. You know, I mean, it's it's one of, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just weird. And I understand it. And I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying that as someone who walks, who used to walk into a busy, busy radio station. Yeah. Sure. Uh, to walk in there now and not see anything, 
it's just it's it's very it's it's very strange and 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 you know obviously the past three or four years have been a little weird to say yeah. the least sure and and that stuff is still there that 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 weirdness is still a part of it when you walk because when I walk in there on Friday mornings I'm like man there's nobody here yeah, right nobody it's just weird and that's cool I have, it, real weird aside this is something maybe that uh, I don't know if you've ever covered this with anybody because you cover the you know with the, oh by the way where can people get daily gist if they want to if they want to listen. Oh, all the usual places of, of, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Um, or you can just go to chicagobusiness.com and there's a little, there's a little tab for daily podcasts. You, you can go. just visit that. Chicagobusiness.com. Amy is the host. Daily Just make sure you check it out. Now, here's an interesting story. And, and I'm sure that you've probably come across people like this because of, you know, you write, you, you talk about this daily because that's in the <laughs> title. Um, I have a friend and I won't name this person, obviously for many reasons, as I get into this story, I have a friend who, um, since the pandemic, uh, has moved to another city, mm-hmm. like moved, moved away from Chicago and, um, but is still remotely working. But the, but the place that this person works for thinks that her home address is in Chicago. Huh. Uh, uh, and, um, was, you know, able to do everything that they normally did. You know what I mean? Um, but without the without the knowledge of the higher ups knowing that this person lived outside of Chicago, and they're probably paying like I assume they have a lower cost of living wherever they move to. Yeah, they they yeah. moved to this place. They have lower cost of living, and it was it was due to the fact that this person's spouse got a big gig like in Arizona. Yeah. So they sure. moved to. I'm just going to say Arizona because that's what everybody says when they move. They go to right. Arizona. <laughs> so they go to Arizona and uh, have been doing their job. You know what I mean. Uh, successfully working from home, you know, got kids, mm-hmm. you know, the spouse has a new job. So, okay, I can do my job from there. And then now the, the boss, the big boss has made a mandate that people have to come into the office for a week, a month. Hmm. This has been mandated. So okay. now every month, my friend flies from Arizona to Chicago yeah. to just walk into the office and, you know, spend hours in the office, uh, you know, during the that- day. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and even though that this person has been doing the job successfully and you know without any complaint and in fact with praise from her bosses, mm-hmm. but now this person has to make an appearance in an office once a week and you know pay for it right. by flying in and because like they you know her her you know her address you know she's not being very honest about this but her address is not in Chicago anymore even though the bosses think she still lives there so now she has to make an appearance. In the office now. Do you know anybody well, who has to do that or who has done that? I, with like, you know what? Uh, yes, I actually knew someone way pre-pandemic. I had a wonderful boss and mentor at the Tribune who commuted from the East Coast for probably ten or twelve years. Yeah. She did that all the time, yeah. and that worked really well for her. That that re- I mean, she didn't commute every day, but it was like, um, or every week rather. But she, you know, she had kids and a spouse and. Um, that was worth it to her because of the life that she had in her community on the the East Coast yeah. and working with the East Coast markets of, of Tribune papers. That worked great for her. And that was reasonable to her and that was um, financially feasible for her and that's what she did and it was worth it. And we were real happy to have her in Chicago because she was fucking awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it, it worked out. I mean, you know, to me, if I were that your friend's boss, I would say, I don't give a shit. You, right. you know, clearly I didn't notice. Clearly it, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, when I have supervised people, I've said before, I've said like, look, I don't actually 
I didn't hire you to come sit in the seat and babysit your cubicle, like get your work done and get the fuck out of here and go live your life. I don't care. I don't care. Don't abuse that. If I feel like you're abusing that you're, we're going to have a problem, but, but let's trust each other to just communicate and figure it out. And I know that that's, you know, an an unorthodox way to do things. I mean, if I were her boss or or their boss, I would not give a shit. Yeah. And, I would say, I wish you would have told me, but also what does it matter that you didn't? I clearly, it clearly hasn't affected your work and you're not doing anything. Yeah. Hope you can, hope you can write off all those, uh, all those trips, all, all that airfare, but yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Do what you want. Yeah. No, it's, it, and I find it really interesting, you know, cause, but because a lot of people, I knew people who, who worked remotely from places to places and do, and you know, did jobs outside that they would have to travel for, but that all was completely moot, uh, at, at, at this point when it was acceptable to do stuff zoom wise yeah you know like it wasn't anymore like like your like your friend probably wouldn't have to like if if this happened in the age of covid um this the person that you worked with at the trib would say well shit no big deal i can just stay home and do my do my work from here yeah fuck it i can Uh, have all those meetings yeah exactly and so that's but my friend is like because it's it's really because to me my mind is like what the fuck are you thinking like you know like you have to come into the office. What the fuck is that? Yeah, you know what why? I mean? Why? What is the point of that? And that's my friend is like, it's the stupidest shit ever. Like I have to fly into Chicago and spend a week in an office, you know, so, so that I am seen there. Right. Uh, it doesn't, it, 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 it has no effect on the amount of work that I do that week. None. It probably suffers to be honest exactly. with you. Exactly. So it's because interesting though. We all know the chatty coworker that comes by. <laughs> And yeah. that like, oh, quick story. And then yeah. they tell you about their fucking grill or whatever. Right. And you're like, that's awesome. Yeah, medium rare. Fuck yeah. Oh, and you planted azaleas. That's fucking great. Awesome. Anyway, I'm trying to do some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get the fuck away from me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, anyway, but that's it's interesting because, you know, obviously from the, from the stuff that you cover, it, uh, there's got to be some interesting stories out there. And I know that you cover them on a regular basis. So everybody check out uh, Daily Gist. By the way, we haven't uh, we haven't listened to this for a second. You just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food. <laughs> oh, he moves! You are a little fucking asshole. Try something Jim, Jim. Motherfucker, food eater! See? I'm gonna shut- <laughs> so, by the way, Amy, you have to come to the Flashback Horror Convention in August. Okay. Because the actual fucking motherfucker food eater is going to be there. Oh, hell yeah. The, the guy that, the, Leo Rossi, uh, yeah. the guy that played the motherfucker food eater in uh, River's <laughs> Edge, he is going to be at the flashback, and I'm doing his Q&A. Oh, that's so, awesome. Oh, also, you have to I come. Hope, yeah. I hope that somewhere in some scenario he's been like, in, I'm going to do pretentious actor voice, like, um, yes, hello, I played uh, motherfucker food eater in River's <laughs> Edge. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind, and I'm gonna. I'm making this prediction, and Amy, I, I really want you to. I mean, I, I I know you're busy, and you're gonna be you know out on the road and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But make a little time between sometime between August fourth and August sixth, okay? To just pop over to the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, and I'll give you a full tour, and I'll introduce you to the real motherfucker food eater. And you could I can't wait. You could actually Can say I this. Say that. You, you could say. You could say that to him, and I and I and I guarantee you. No, I guarantee you that he's got eight by tens of River's Edge as part of you know you've been to these conventions where they've got eight oh, by sure. tens of all this shit. I guarantee you he signs it as motherfucker food eater. I guarantee you he does. 
If he and doesn't, so, he'll be like, who should I sign this to? I'll be like, can you just write motherfucker food yeah, eater? Thank yeah. you. And he, I think he'll be happy. <laughs> anyway, fantastic actor, Leo Rossi. He's going to be there. But yeah, and I thought of you immediately. Once, once he was booked, like my, you know, the guy, Mike and Mia Kurz, who run the, the convention, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you know, they'll call me up and go, hey, we got some updates, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm a host there, and I do my podcast yeah. in there and all that shit. I've been doing been a part of that uh, flashback horror convention for since the beginning 2002 awesome. and uh and they'll call me up and go hey we got this and blah 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 they were all excited to let me know that like there's a christine reunion oh sweet. so like a bunch of the actors from christine are gonna be there the actual car is gonna be there so like they call me up because it's john carpenter related and i get calls about that on a regular basis about john carpenter and so this is happening and then they were like hey man leo rossi and lance guest because they're both in halloween too they both get killed in halloween too yeah and so they're coming together, Lance Guest and Leo Rossi. They're going to have That's a table awesome. together, and they're going to do the Q&A together and all that cool stuff. But as soon as I found out Leo Rossi was coming, I was like, <laughs> I got to call. I got to call my, <laughs> the lovely Amy Guth and, uh, and let her know. So anyway, okay. motherfucker food eater, the original, the actual guy is going to be there. So make sure you take, a, you take a little time off for between April 4th and April 6th sometime. Stop August. In and, August. Yeah, what the fuck? Not April. April. August. Yes. Yeah, sorry. August. Yeah. See, you, you, you pay attention more than I do, but yeah, August. Uh, and, uh, you'll meet the motherfucker food eater in person. Awesome. So it'll be, it'll be great. So, <laughs> um, so you've been working on a movie and you I shot have. it. Is it done now? You get, you're, you're, are you cutting it now? Are you editing it now? Yep. What's happening? Yep. It's in post right now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which is like the unsexy part cause that's tedious, but, um, yeah, it's in post right now. So many good adventures and, um, like every like the stars aligned for this film. Uh, we filmed outside of Seattle uh, on the Kitsap Peninsula, which is just uh, just west of Seattle, and it's very very beautiful. The story is set in Alaska, but that area is so beautiful and natural uh, that we were able to make it kind of look like Alaska. Um, and one of the challenges in producing that was that I needed to find a car wash or sorry, a laundry with a car wash adjacent to it. I needed an Elvis costume. I needed a vintage Cadillac. I needed a small regional airport and a pilot willing to do some stuff on camera. Those were a lot of interesting phone calls. Um, and (laughs) I needed to find pilots in Alaska for like a second unit shoot to, to capture, to go up and capture the Aurora Borealis. We ended up finding a workaround for that. Um, there's, there is footage that already existed. Um, so we were able to get that, but every single person, we, we hired local crew and local actors. Every single person was so kind and so lovely. Like after it wrapped the next day, I was like, I miss everybody. Everybody Mm. was so good and fun and, and had so much enthusiasm. I think that's the wonderful part of working on a set is like, you will bust your ass for those days. We are all going to be so exhausted, but it's so, it's so rewarding. It's so fun. And when you have great people around you, it feels like play. It feels so, so satisfying to do that. Um, there were some really good adventures. There was actually a a line that there is literally no way I will not write this character into a script. So the laundry, uh, we had made a deal with them, you know, day one, we need to, we need to film in the parking lot with this Cadillac day two, we need to film on the interior. So the first day, the laundry wasn't closed. The second day it was closed because we took over the interior. So there were still some people inside, but she was really a lovely person. And she let us come in to, you know, use the bathroom. She let us commandeer a corner for hair and makeup and costumes and all that. Um, And so we're kind of mid-morning wrapping up in the parking lot on the first day. And these women pull up in an SUV um, with matching hers and her mullets that were really awesome. And uh, 
they're like, what the fuck is all this? And I was like, hi, you know, we're making a film and, you know, thanks for your patience. We're actually going to lunch, you know, but, but the laundromat's open, go ahead. And, and she was um, clearly pretty, pretty wasted at like 11 or 1130 in the morning um, and had just been driving, but she's like getting laundry out of the car and all this. And she goes inside and and she like wants me to tell her the whole story of the movie. So I, I give her the synopsis and it's about this young woman who's traveling with a friend who's dealing with some heartbreak and uh, not really present on the trip. And this young woman meets uh, meets a, a notorious Elvis impersonator in Alaska. He's a real guy and, you know, changes her plans accordingly and ends up having this really wonderful experience. And she goes, you motherfuckers think you're in fucking Alaska? And I was like, no, we don't think we're in fucking Alaska, but we're, you know, we're surrounded by these beautiful pine trees and, and mountains. So it, we're, we're just making it look that way. And she goes inside and I'm checking in the guy who's playing Elvis, Charles P. Gay, amazing actor, lovely person. He's in makeup and he's kind of hanging out, talking to the makeup artist. Um, and, and, and I'm, I look at him and I'm like, are you okay? Cause this woman is just, she's just on a monologue at this point. And she, and she, at one point she's like, them motherfuckers think they in fucking Alaska. And just like keeps yelling, <laughs> keeps screaming this. And I look at him, I'm like, you good? Cause I can say something to her. And he was like, you ever wake up and just think like today I've won the fucking lottery. Like today is that day. No, this is fine. You let this keep going. So I'm like, okay, there is no way I don't write a little part maybe for myself. Cause I love to just have like a weird one line character actor thing. Yeah. Um, I was like, maybe I'm just going to write one line for myself in some random ass script at one of these days where I just bust in and be like, damn motherfuckers think they in fucking Alaska. Like yeah. just, just to yell it, I'll have a mullet wig or whatever. It'll be really spectacular. Um, you know, like interesting characters, right? At one point in the parking lot, I was uh, like a couple of production assistants and I are out there trying to hold traffic a little bit. And I'm like, you know, you, if you give me like 90 seconds, we're going to yell cut and then you you won't get in the shot just because we're facing the, the, the cameras pointing towards the parking lot. So I got a couple like, I know my fucking rights. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know you. You do have your you you do have a right to drive through this parking lot, but if you give me like literally ninety seconds, we won't have to redo this. Oh, like I got a couple of those. Most people were like, "Oh, this is cool. This is fun." You know, most people were were into it, and and like everybody in the town, all the you know the caterer that owned the restaurant down the corner, the people at the airport, like everybody was so lovely. Um, we were going to use this one, uh, we, we were using a process trailer, which if you've never seen one, it's like a stage on wheels pulled by a, t- by like a tow truck basically mm-hmm. yep. so that your actor can just sit in the car and look like they're driving without having to worry about it. So a lot of, because it's a road trip movie, a lot of this was filmed on a process trailer and we were going to use this kind of back road from this golf course with really beautiful scenery. And then it kind of fell apart at the, at the 11th hour because the city needed to do some work on some power lines. So the, uh, the, the manager of this golf course, who was also such a lovely person, he was like, well, you know, behind the airport, there's a racetrack. And I'm like, what? So the, the airport people were so lovely. Like everyone that works at the Bremerton airport is like salt of the earth. And I miss them. Like, I, I feel like I just want to email them and be like, you guys good? How, how is yeah. it going over there? It's yeah. really so nice. But I was like, Hey, um, I heard there's a racetrack. Is that, is that a thing? And they're like, yeah, um, swing by and we'll take you to it. And this is like two days before production happens. So I'm a little bit like, Oh shit. You know what I'm going to do for this highway. And we have to cross the runway. So the general manager 
and I get into a facility vehicle and, and we're just kind of chatting and he's super nice and he knows a ton about planes. So we're talking about that. And he's got a walkie talkie and he turns it on. He's like facility vehicle crossing runway. And I can hear all the pilots on his walkie talkie. So I was like, are you air traffic control? He's like, well, we don't really have it because it's, it's a small regional. So it's, oh, these are just the pilots. And I was like, wait, we're about to drive across the runway. He's like, yeah, I just have to make sure no one's about to land. And so, <laughs> you know, here's like a, hey, 407 coming in landing north. And I was like, I don't know what, okay. So we're watching, okay, this little plane, this little Cessna lands. And I was like, you have such a cool job, man. This is so cool. And he was like, facility vehicle crossing Alpha 1. And all of a sudden just like hits the gas and we haul ass across the air. And he was like, yeah, oh yeah, you have to cross it pretty fast. And oh my like, God. But it was like zero to like 80 miles an hour just to cross this thing. But then in the back, there was like this whole racetrack. And that particular day that we went to look, that, that I was looking at it, that he took me out there, it was a, a like a classic car meetup. So there was like a row of El Caminos that are just in perfect oh, shape. There's cool. like all the muscle cars. There's all these Mustangs. There's, there's like Formula One cars and stock cars and all this stuff, motorcycles, everything. And then, you know, two days later, we had the the back racetrack to ourselves and it's surrounded by pine trees. So it totally looked like this like remote Alaskan oh, highway. Oh, wow. That's it was great. Amazing. It was wow. totally fun. Yeah, it was totally fun. And it was fun that we had, you know, a vintage Cadillac out there. Um, now, where did you get the Cadillac? Well, so I had to, I worked a lot of angles because I was really like, how in the world? And everybody I talked to was like, question one, is it going to be wrecked? And I'm like, no, I would have led with that for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but I called, um, I got in touch with a car club and the, the guy, like the head of that club is the nicest dude. And he was like, well, I've got a 70, uh, 1970 gold Eldorado. And I was like, word to your yeah. car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right. And it was a beautiful car. I didn't drive it, but I did sit in it and I was like, holy shit, this is a yeah. gorgeous car. And he was like, I'll bring it out. And he was super nice. And like, he came to lunch with us every day. He was super nice. And you know, as I got to know him during the shoot, I was like, so, you know, how did you come to get, how'd you get into cars? You know, so much about the, just the inner workings of, of automotive company history. Like how'd you, turns out the guy has 25 vintage cars, 20 of which are Cadillacs. This wow. is just his thing. He's like, you know how like you look at Skilling talking about weather and you're like, Tom Skilling is on this earth to talk about weather. This dude is on this earth to talk about vintage cars. Yeah. Th th just, that's a whole, that is a whole subculture. Yeah. Uh, that is massive. That is huge. Completely. Uh, and it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I have a guy who's a regular on my, on my podcast, Tom Appel, yeah. um, who writes for Consumer Guide Automotive um, and publishes it too. Um, who, you know, obviously goes in and out of that world on a regular basis. And through him, I've met some of these people. And it's yeah. a huge culture. Amazing. And, a and actually, he he led me there. He led me to this guy eventually. Because he was did. like, yeah. Because yeah. you were like, I got a guy. I think yeah. you said that a podcast or two ago. Yeah. I contacted him. And the first idea didn't, the first one didn't pan out, but eventually that's what led me to the car club of how I found this guy okay. that had this yeah. amazing Cadillac. Also, the Cadillac owner on the last day showed up with a trunk full of donuts. And if you think about a trunk full of donuts on a Cadillac, that's like that's a lot of fucking. That's donuts. like a king size bed. That's a huge <laughs> trunk. Like four people could could sleep in that trunk. So he showed up with a trunk full of like salt of the earth. The nicest guy. And it was so fun oh, to hang out man. with him. That's um, amazing. That's yeah, amazing. and I think the the actor uh, uh, Charles Gay that that played Elvis. He 
really like once he got in that car and was driving it, you could see the Elvis impersonator just take over, you know, yeah. for him. Cause he had, yeah. we got him the jumpsuit. Like he was in the white jumpsuit with the gold Cape, the yeah. glasses, the pinky rings, the, you know, all the thing. Yeah. Um, and you could see like, once he got in that car, I was like, he looks like he was born to drive that car right now. By the way, uh, I saw pictures of you in, uh, hell in, yeah. In the Elvis jumpsuit. What was that? <laughs> how was, how was that for you? I, okay. I gotta say it was, I gotta say it was, I looked at the picture and I was like, all right, Amy looking good. Yeah. Working uh, it in the Elvis suit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, <laughs> so I took this actor's measurements with me to the costume shop because they had several Elvis outfits. There's mm-hmm. a, this wonderful place called uh, Vintage Costume in Everett, Washington. And I had talked to them and they, that place, I could have sat in there all day. And like the couple that runs it, they are the nicest people. I'm telling you, every single person affiliated with this project was so lovely. I want to be in touch with them forever. That's great. Um, but this woman, Sid, who runs Vintage Costume in Everett, um, she got such a kick out of like the story and what we were doing. And I, I brought her the measurements and I realized this actor and I are the same height. So I was like, well, cause I'm pretty tall. I'm 5'10". I was like, Hmm, I wonder if it'll fit me. And I'm like, got this Elvis outfit. <laughs> and when I got it back, I was like the night before the shoot, I was like, I'm just going to throw it on and see what happens. I was like, okay, this is awesome. And it feels very awesome to wear an Elvis outfit. I have to take a picture. So I took this picture and I put it on Instagram of myself in this Elvis outfit. And it was like, I'm kind of feeling this big time. (laughs) I'm like super feeling this. My, my favorite part of that though, was as I walked out of the costume place and I had the screenwriter with me, Pam Mandel, she and I go up there and we were like screwing around in the, in the costume place for a while. Cause I was like, sure. Oh my God, there's like a whole row of capes and like Elizabethan shit. And they've got chain mail in there and flapper yeah, yeah. outfits and just yeah. all, everything. And then like yeah. a whole back area where they're sewing and fixing things. It was amazing. Um, she walked right to these, this row that was like the Hamilton row of all these coats and these amazing <laughs> jackets and threw one on. Um, but we walk out of there and they, you know, put like a clear, uh, dry cleaner bag over the Elvis outfit. And we walk out of there and there's a census worker standing there with a laptop that says, you know, census.gov or whatever, and a census t-shirt. And she just looks at us mm-hmm. like walking out with this Elvis outfit, like, huh. Yeah. And then just goes back to her laptop. Like, yeah. okay, one less Elvis in that building. Um, <laughs> it, it was so fun, but yeah, so that's how I got that, that outfit and then, uh, you know, rented it and, and, Rented it for the Elvis, and it was, but I couldn't resist. I was like, I have to put this yeah. on. I even put the glasses, the Elvis glasses, on oh, yeah. Pam's yeah. dog for a minute. Oh, on the dog, like, yeah. Did it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was like, we all got to get in on this. <laughs> you know, uh, I, uh, I, I once met a girl who we dated for about a year. I met her at an Elvis impersonators convention. Oh, sweet. So there were like, you know, uh, uh, there were like 360 something Elvi there. And, and at one point, and they were all like different era Elvis. Mm-hmm. So there was like thin Elvis, there was fat Elvis, there was jail, you know, the, you know, there was a jailhouse like rock the Elvis. jeans. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That whole like early at 68 comeback Elvis, all that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and everything in between. And they were all like jealous of each other. Like when one Elvi was up on, <laughs> on stage performing, there'd be others in the back. Oh man, he sucks, man. He's the worst. You know, they would be pissed. At, <laughs> and, and, and I'll never forget this at the very end of the show. Uh, there was, by the way, there was a sign uh, posted uh, at the, this was at uh, like the Westin in Rosemont. This this thing, um, and these guys were acting. These Elvis impersonators were acting as though they were like on a strip in Vegas or they were in Hollywood. But it was the Westin in fucking Rosemont. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a sign at the stage, um, you know, which is basically just a convention stage, you know, that you have in every ballroom in hotels everywhere. 
Sure. That's why yeah. that's why it collapsed because it's not made for 360 Elvises. They get up there and the whole stage collapsed. The 360 Elvises, the stage collapsed on them. <laughs> so there's like there's like you know there's like scarves and sideburns all over the floor. Sure. It was just, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but there was a sign. My favorite thing was there was a sign uh, at the at the edge of the stage. Again, this is in Rosemont in a you know in a ballroom of a of a Westin, and it mm-hmm. said, "Please, only one scarf per person." <laughs> Meaning that there were women who were beating the shit out of each other to get scarves from some Elvis impersonator. I love that. Who in real life is like a pizza delivery guy. You know what I yeah, mean? Right, like right. And and then like anyway, I met this girl. Her name was Le- her name was Leslie, and I used to call her when we first started dating. You know the story. It's a great story. Uh, you know to tell your kids. We never got married or anything, but it was a great story to tell your kids. Yeah, where'd you meet? We met an Elvis impersonator's convention. Yeah, that's and, that's not even meet cute. That's like meet awesome. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And this was pre. Uh, uh, honeymoon in Vegas. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was pre- it was it was literally a year before honeymoon in Vegas came out that that this happened, and so like the idea of Elvis impersonator convention wasn't even was even further remote than it <laughs> was after the Nicolas Cage movie came out. Yeah, and her name was Leslie, and so I used to call her Leslie Presley because because all the <laughs> all the Elvi were hitting on her because she was very attractive, sure. and all the Elvi were hitting on her, and I was just this. Guy with really, really long hair wearing a public enemy t shirt <laughs> to this thing, you know, where they have famously said Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. He was straight up racist. You know, he yeah, was simple and yeah. plain, motherfucking man, John Wayne. You know, that yeah. whole that whole lyric from, from Fight the Power. Yeah. So I'm wearing a public enemy shirt. And I didn't even realize I didn't wear it ironically. I didn't go to an Elvis impersonators convention with a PE shirt on to be an asshole. Sure. I just had it on. I was like, oh shit, I didn't even realize it. And so, like, they were all, all the Elvi were mad because I was making time with this chick, you know, and I was like a grubby, long-haired idiot, and, and she left with me as opposed to the, <laughs> the, 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 the Elvi, right. and they were mad. And so she was Leslie Presley forever, but the point is they take that shit very seriously, those Elvis. Very seriously. They take it very, very seriously. Now, was that a culture that you, in, when you were casting, did you ever, like, have to dive into the Elvis Presley uh, impersonator world? No, because here was the trick with casting was, you know, in auditions, it, wa- it wasn't you think you're Elvis. The, the direction was you are an Elvis impersonator. You're having a conversation with someone in a parking lot while your car is getting washed. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a little bit different. Like you're not, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not, thank you very much. You're, you're yeah. just a guy who's, you're in yeah. the Elvis suit, but it's like, what is an Elvis impersonator doing on his day off? Now, the Elvis impersonator that this story was actually written about, um, like he, he's kind of this known, known figure. If you have seen an Elvis impersonator somewhere in the Yukon area. Uh, oh, he's the guy. This is probably the yeah, guy yeah, you yeah, saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, that's the guy. But, you yeah. know, so it was it was like, bring your Elvis vibe. Like you're a guy who really is into Elvis you've made a career out of being an Elvis impersonator but you're still you so who how are you gotcha. gonna interact with a stranger at a car wash you know yeah that's um, great that's great and he nailed it this actor just nailed it he was so perfect at that because he had you know he had Elvis swagger but didn't wasn't like trying to do a voice he didn't make it a caricature he actually you know just made it I'm just this guy giving advice to this yeah. young woman at a car wash that's awesome now so yeah. the shoot went uh went well obviously you met a lot of really cool people you got some great stories out of it um, yep. And now you're in post, as we mentioned, and that requires editing and sound, you know, syncing mm-hmm. and all that cool stuff. Color, um, all that stuff. Yeah. And then we'll, then we're going to move towards film festivals. So, you know, the strategy 
uh, you know, you, you kind of pick, here's the, the, the ideal premiere that I want. And you work backwards from that deadline and you try to secure the most, um, you know, high profile or visible or prestigious or whatever, um, world premiere that, that you possibly can. And then you, you fill in gaps from that and you say, okay, here's going to be my, you know, LA premiere, my New York, my Chicago, my, uh, Toronto, whatever you, you try to get your big city premieres and then you fill in with, um, other, you know, I think what'll be cool about this one is that there'll also be some specialty kind of premieres. You know, there's some, there's some film festivals just for like travel writing and travel films. And there's, I'm sure there's an Elvis film festival without out there. Question. If not, without yeah, question, right. There, if there, not, there's Elvis one. conventions, yeah. right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, you know, maybe see about a screening there or something yeah. like that. So, and what do you, what, um, what are we looking at running time wise? Um, it's going to be pretty short. It's, it's mm-hmm. not very long. Um, you know, I think it'll be under 15 minutes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, you got it. You know what? At, at one point you have to, uh, 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 try and get it for the Chicago, uh, critics festival. Absolutely. Uh, at I'm the music box. And it would be fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, we'd, we'd I'm not going to lie, Nick, I will be a little nervous for you to watch it because I know like you have a very strong point of view as a critic and I don't, I want you to be honest with me, but I want you to be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never, are you kidding me? I would, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you, you know, that you got it made. Cause I, I remember, you know, one of the things we talked about at the extensively at Tom's wedding to bring it full yeah. circle was this project that you wanted to do and that you were working on and that you had scoured through. And, yeah. um, and I know, I mean, I've known you for a long time, Amy, I know that from, you know, you've run film festivals, you yep. know, uh, yep. uh, you know, and so, so this is great that you're now you're doing it from the, now you're seeing what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? On the other side, is that, what, how is that, how's that mindset for you? Like seeing it from the, from the mind of a filmmaker, not from the mind of a programmer. Yeah. I mean, and even the difference between documentary that I've worked on before and yeah. scripted huge yeah, yeah. difference, huge, yeah. huge. But you know what I love about it is that it's like solving a movie problem. Okay. I need a plane. I needed a Husky, a Siberian Husky. That, like, I just, that's just getting on the phone and talking to people yeah. and see if you can get them excited about the thing you're doing. I mean, that's a fun task. Like that's a good day's work right there. Cause it's really yeah. fun. Yeah. And most people like when you say, Hey, I mean, when, when I found this laundromat, I just walked in and I just said, hi, I'm a film producer and I am looking for a place that is a, an adorable laundromat near a car wash. And you have that. And I would love to talk with you about what it would take to film here for a couple of days. And she was and, like, and what? then they said, you think you're in motherfucking Alaska? Is that what they said? The motherfuckers don't even remain in fucking Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see that cameo, by the way, of you oh, in the man. mullet. In the mullet wig, that would be it's fantastic. Gonna it's That's gonna happen. It's gonna. I've written. I wrote myself a little, a one, like one or two lines, in Open Road, uh, which is a script I co-wrote. And in that one, there's a diner waitress. Like I am wholly uninterested in just being like a regular person. I I am wholly uninterested in any kind of leading lady thing. I am just interested in being that total weirdo that pops up on the screen for a minute and pieces out, but that you remember. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's, yeah. I want to be a motherfucker food eater. I just want right, to remember it. Like, right, right. I, and so I wrote myself that's this line, like I, the waitress delivers food to the table and the, the male, you know, lead says something, um, you know, thank you. I appreciate you, but he, almost flirty. And she has a line that's like, last time someone looked at me like that, I got husband number four and baby number seven. And I was like, that's all I want to say. That's all I want to do. I just want to be like this, you know, flirty yeah, yeah. little diner gal that's all i want to do with seven kids and four husbands that's fantastic that's great (laughs) all right 
Well, Amy, uh, you know, you got to keep me keep me posted on everything that's happening, and we're going to continue to have you on as you are. Uh, you're you're going to be traveling around. You're going to L.A. You're going to be you're going to be you're going to be on the move a lot over the next couple of months for sure. I am. I'm going to be. I'm just. I'm leaving just in a couple of days, and uh, I'm going to be in L.A. a little bit, New York, but mostly L.A. Um, for you know, I've got a lot of stuff to do there. There's potentially another project, which hopefully I can talk about soon. Yeah. Um, that's that uh, I'll know soon enough once I get out there. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how the summer unfolds. But I'm I'm gonna spend most of the summer out there. So yeah. We'll, we'll, well see how it goes. M- make sure April or April. Why do I fuck? Do I keep saying April? August fourth through the sixth. At some point, you get uh, you get out to the uh, the Hyatt at O'Hare. I have good news for you. I'm actually yeah. planning on being in Chicago that week. So oh, look at that. So you're gonna get to the meet stars this, of a line. <laughs> You'll get to meet him. Uh, well, the next time we talk will be in July, and uh, we'll yep. figure out what date and all that cool stuff. But it's always a blast to talk to you, and congratulations on getting the movie shot. You know, and, and having so many great stories, and good luck in post. And I can't, I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to Thank see it. Thank you. I'm so excited. About I can't it. wait to send it to you. And uh, everybody, yeah. check out Daily Gist podcast uh, uh, from Crane's Business. And uh, and uh, this is the the lovely Amy Guth, and we'll talk again uh, in July. And uh, we'll figure out a date in a second. So you hang on while I throw it to uh, to me and Esmeralda Leon. How about that, Amy? Perfect. Thanks so All much. Right, cool. That's Amy Guth. Uh, make sure you check it out. AmyGuth.com. G-U-T-H. AmyGuth.com is the website. And check out her podcast as well. And here is Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Leon joins me every uh, episode, and she's here now to hang out and talk. And hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. You had a birthday celebration over this past weekend, correct? Uh, yeah, it was my mom's birthday on Thursday. Oh, how was that? It was good. Yeah. She's doing well, and yeah, we all had a nice time. Very cool. Did you go out to the wondrous downtown Joliet? We didn't. We just stayed in. Oh, stayed in. Just hung out in the house. No craziness yeah. in Joliet. What is there to do in downtown Joliet? Is Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you can gamble. There's a Harris Casino ah, there that's, downtown. That's right. How is that? Is it? I mean, has that uh, has that done well? It's been how long has it been around that that casino? Uh, it's been for ever since I was there as a kid. So probably. Uh, 20 plus years now 30 yeah yeah and i and i remember that was one of the places i remember when they had the boats mm-hmm. when you had to you had to go out on a boat to to gamble mm-hmm. it was illegal like on the land but you could go out on a boat uh in the city at least mm-hmm. um but the, but joliet was always a place where you can go to gamble as far back as i can remember yeah, they've always they had the boats and then um yeah, now they're just they're actually on land, I believe. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of there's like a big casino in Rosemont that you can go to now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gamble your life away. So there you go. 
Hey, speaking of gambling, as we were talking about the last time you were uh, in Vegas last week, mm-hmm. and uh, I looked up some video of the Katy Perry show that you saw because I wanted to see the singing and dancing poop. Yeah. And I enjoyed that very much. That was a That's a big toilet. Yeah. It's all, yeah, it was all like Toy Story-esque, you know, everything's yeah. bigger than... So, but yeah, it was fun. Like everything's a character and everything was like very cartoony. So yeah, it looked really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. I I was like, uh, now I have to see. I have anytime there's poop involved with dancing and singing in giant toilets. That's right. You know, that's, that's on my level of class right there. Right. So I got to check that out. So anyway, but yeah, that was cool. That was very, very cool. We have a magic microphone to get to and we're going to get to some TV and movie characters that uh, act differently than other people. And of course my dad's going to, Tell a joke. Very nice. Because it is a Tuesday. Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How are Hi, you? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. There it is. She loves my show. I don't know if you know that or not. Did she, she, uh, did she have a T-shirt on today? Themed? Uh, she, she had a... Oh, wait. Hold on. Uh, Carrie, Hi, what is I'm it? Hi, I'm Carrie oh, Russell, yeah. and yeah. I love Nick's show. It says, Barry... Greater than succession. That's what her T-shirt says. Wow. Yeah, so okay. she agrees with me on that. <laughs> so for people who have been living under a rock uh, just this over this past weekend, uh, Sunday night, two very you know critically acclaimed and very successful and beloved HBO shows had their final episodes ever, the series mm-hmm. finales. They had Succession and Barry. Um, and of course, everybody watched them, and and uh, everybody went apeshit over Succession, and I just kind of, I'm not, I'm not on that train. I like it. I've watched it. I've watched the whole season. I've watched every season. I've watched every episode, and I mm-hmm. like it. I just, I just, I'm not on board with how fucking great everybody seems to think the show is. Do you watch Succession? No, no, yeah. I do not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I like it. I just think that people are like, oh, God, it's, it's very Shakespearean, and it's, oh, this tragedy. And what I loved about the show in the first couple of seasons was just how funny it is and was and how it went for the really sort of dark jugular. Mm-hmm. And then I think it started to believe its own hype, and it started to take itself way too seriously. And and the finale was fine. You know, I guess it was a satisfactory finale. I and I, I don't dislike the show, but everybody, oh, it's the greatest television show of all time. I could name, off the top of my head, I could name, like, at least 15 HBO shows that are better. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, 15, 20 other network or streaming shows that are, you know, that are much better. And as, as far as finales go, Barry's finale was 8,000 times better than Succession's. Um, I mean, I, I like Barry more. That's just me. Mm-hmm. So, do you have you watched Barry with the with the? Uh... Um, I actually just recently just watched the first episode of the first season. Ah, okay. Well, there's only four seasons, so it's not like uh, you'll be able, you know, you'll be able to. It's interesting because both of those shows. Wow, I just thought of this. Remembered this. Both of those shows are just four seasons, and they both oh. uh, and they both ended. I didn't even realize that that was another connection putting them together. So anyway. But yeah, uh, 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 Carrie's got a shirt on that says Barry greater than uh, Succession. So she agrees with me on that. There we go. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we, we agree on a lot of things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so you, a magic megaphone, Esmeralda, are you ready for mm-hmm. uh, the magic megaphone? As you know, as most people know, the magic megaphone is requests from you, the listener, the subscriber. 
where you can either call up 773-417-6948, leave a voicemail of any kind or a megaphone re- uh, request, or an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tell me a story or tell me whatever you want me to say or record into the magic megaphone. It becomes magic, and it's all about you. And uh, we play those back. So, Esmeralda, again, I'll play this one mm-hmm. and explain it afterwards. That's usually the, the way we do it. This one I think you'll be able to figure out. Okay. I think. Because sometimes it's hard to hear. Sometimes it's weird, you know. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's weird. Like like this one. Remember last week I did, uh, at, I, I did uh, one of them was this. Get that coin out of my face! So oh, that, right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> From Nacho Libre. <laughs> Get that coin out of my face. Well, this one I think you'll be able to understand. Ron who is from Lake in the Hills, Illinois, Lake in the Hills, um, requested this. So here it is. It's just, this is the magic megaphone. Here we go. Those aren't pillows. Those aren't pillows. Those aren't so, pillows. Those aren't pillows. So do you recognize? Uh, all right. Um, I, I, is he saying, you're saying those aren't pillows? Yes, I am. Okay. I have no idea what that's from. Okay, that's from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Ah, okay. Um, which is Ron's favorite movie. Now, I'm not sure why he requested that in May as opposed to November, uh, considering that that is a classic Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's his favorite. It's his, one of his favorite movies, and that's his favorite line from it. And if you remember the scene, it's the scene where uh, John Candy and Steve Martin are stuck together as they are uh, trying to get back to their homes for Thanksgiving. Right. They have to share a bed in a crappy hotel room. And when they wake up, uh, Steve Martin wakes up, Candy is behind him spooning him. Yes. And yes, he's yes. like, what the funny he wakes up and he realizes that it's John Candy and he's like, what are you doing with your other hand? And he said, they're between two pillows. <laughs> and then he's like, those aren't pillows. Those aren't pillows. You know, those are his butt cheeks. See? Right. See, get there it? There you go. Because his hand was between Steve Martin's butt cheeks. Wow. And then he's, those aren't pillows. And they get up and they whack him. He must have an ample, an ample bottom. Yeah, I've for him always to confuse them for pillows. Yeah, I've yeah, I've I've always like uh, you know like I don't question the logic of it because people really uh, right love that love that movie and I'm not one of them that loves that movie. Uh, yeah, but uh, so yeah, but yeah, this it, you, you got to really stretch your imagination in order to think that one that Steve Martin's not going to wake up if John Candy jams his fing- his hand between, right. his, between his ass cheeks. That's for He can us. only go so far, too. Yeah, it's not like, you know, he just you know, but he, you know, but I you know, I mean it's a, it's a cheap line and people like it and they love it and whatever. So yeah, I mean in, ter- in terms of logic, it's never going to happen in the real world, but people think it's funny. But I'm not a huge fan of of plane trains and automobiles. I know people who mm. love it, they watch it every Thanksgiving, it's one of their favorite movies and all that other stuff and and I love John Candy, I, and you know, and I—it's not one of my favorite uh, 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 movies of all time. Um, but there is a great scene. Do you remember uh, anything about *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles*, Esmeralda? Um, like what? What do you mean? Do, I mean, do, I mean, you've seen it. I assume you've seen yeah. *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles*. Yes. The one thing that stands out for me is the scene where, after all this bad, terrible, horrible shit has happened to him, 
um, uh, you know, he misses a plane. All this terrible stuff happens to him. He goes mm-hmm. up to get a rent a car after going through horrible shit. Uh, and Edie McClurg, um, who a uh, great, funny uh, character actress who used to appear on David Letterman's morning show. God, am I mm-hmm. dating myself? Holy fuck, am I dating myself? Um, but used to appear on Dave, David Letterman. People would remember her as the principal secretary in Ferris Bueller. She talked yeah. like this. Yeah. Her, Edie McClurg. Mm-hmm. Well, she is the woman who is working at the counter at the rent-a-car place. Yes. Uh, and in this scene, uh, Steve Martin has had it. Like all the horrible shit about trying to travel during the holidays and all the bullshit that you have to deal with at that time has built up. And he basically uses the word fuck in about 30 different ways <laughs> in the scene uh, as he's you know kind of yelling at uh, Edie McClurg at the rent-a-car place. That's my, my, the only scene in that movie that I love. <laughs> I just remember like, thinking how rude John Candy is. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a lovable oaf, but he's really a dickhead in it. Like he's he's yeah, yeah he it's is, like yeah. you're just being like an ass. Like yeah. when he was because doesn't he use all the towels at the motel? Yep, yep, yep. It's like what kind of like <laughs> yeah, right before and then rude. after he, after he uses all the towels, he sticks his hand up his ass. He sticks his hand up Steve Martin's ass. So <laughs> there's yeah. Yeah. Come on. No, yeah, and he does a lot of shit that that's really annoying and 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 uh, and overbearing. But that's like the character. It's like oh, they learn to love each other. He's just a fat, lovable, right? Door, you know, the fat, lovable yeah. guy. And that was a, a lot of hurdles that you have to jump over in order to enjoy that movie. And I never really was able to jump over those hurdles. Yeah. But <laughs> but I did like it when uh, when Steve Martin in the in a matter of three minutes uses the word fuck twenty seven different ways. That was okay with me. I I enjoyed, I enjoyed that scene very very much. But anyway, so Ron in, the, in Lake in the Hills requested those aren't pillows. Very and, uh, nice. You can request whatever you'd like from the Magic Megaphone now. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, all right. So we were talking about TV and movie characters that don't act like humans. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they don't act like- <laughs> well, they don't act like real people. Right. You know, um, and like we were talking about how m- movie characters and TV characters tend to quote literature a lot. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really, you know, happen. Right, people, yeah. So, I couldn't, I don't have any quotes on yeah, deck. Not really. I have quotes from movies. Right, um, of course. <laughs> you know, that I can say. And I guess from plays, maybe that's literature, because I could rattle off a bunch of David Mamet lines from plays and stuff. But, you know, but, you know, like quoting from, you know, literature or something like somebody just quoting from, you know, the Iliad. I don't do that on a regular basis. Yeah, could not tell you. No. Could not tell you a line. I've read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some of those things you read because you had to. Like, I had to read right. it. You know, uh, but otherwise, uh, not so much. All right. Well, so so here are some other things that behavior that people exhibit in movies and TV that aren't isn't really consistent with the real world. Here's another one. Then, uh, and then uh, you you throw some at me, too, uh, mm-hmm. this article that we're checking out. It says, I find it weird how many uh, TV and movie parents regularly had wine with dinner in my house. The options were water, juice, or soda. Now, 
yeah, I mean, we weren't a big like. I mean, it was just me and my parents, and my parents did not bust out bottles of wine when we ate dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was mostly pop or it was milk. Um, so yeah, I and, and they show a few they show a few uh, examples of it. But wine at dinner does that take you when you watch something that that does that take you out of the moment or no? No, not at all. I mean, they're adults. People drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess they, I guess I, I mean I, I don't know. I guess what they're pointing out is that maybe like at a like a regular sit down six p.m. dinner with your family, you don't bust out a bottle of wine or something like that. It's usually I like yes. Hey. Yeah. I mean, to me, like a lot of this, like when they say things like that, it's like, well, you just lived in maybe a boring ass house. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I like, lived in a house where we didn't drink wine, or they didn't drink wine. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, wine wasn't a big thing with my folks anyway. Mm. You know, wine wasn't, it, it was never a big, my, my parents were never, uh, in fact, I don't, they, didn't, they don't even drink wine. And my dad was a beer guy. When he drank, he drank beer. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think my mom was a whiskey drinker when she drank. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, she was full on brown. She liked the brown. So there you go. My dad, my dad, um, he was for a while making wine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he made his own wine for a minute there. How'd that work out? How, did you tr- did you have you tried it? Um, I tried it. It was fine. It was just like a red, like a basic, like a house red, I guess you would say. There wasn't anything like spectacularly amazing about it. I mean, you just kind of buy everything. Um, you is order like, like is... the grapes and all that stuff. I don't know what I don't know what he would use specifically for grapes. Mm-hmm. If they send you like the grape grapes, or they just send you a, a juice or a liquid that's like essentially ready for making wine. But he was the one he would like for get it fermented or whatever, brew it. I don't know yeah. what you would. Do. I don't know exactly what he was doing to the wine to make wine, but he was making wine. Like he had a kit. Yeah, I mean, I know that people still are home brewers with beer. Like, that's a big thing. Like, Yeah, my dad's done that, too. So he's brewed beer and he's done wine. Yeah. Is he going to open a Binny's? What's uh... (laughs) a... So have you tried his beer as well? Yeah, that, too, is just kind of like a basic one. Like, like I would say probably like a lager type situation. Like, he doesn't go crazy. I don't, he's never tried to do stouts or anything. I got him once um, because I was in Michigan. I got him uh, a kit for one of the breweries up there, Bells. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And it was one of their, um, oh my gosh, what was, what's the, it's, it's one of their summer brews that they Mm -hmm. don't, that they don't do all the time. It's only for summer. And he, he's very, it it cracks me up because he, for the longest time only drank old style. And then after that he would drink Miller light. Um, and I would never see him drink anything else. And then he just got into brewing beer. And then at the same time he was driving Uber and stuff. And like, he would talk to people about things and he said, somebody left a beer in his car they left a six-pack they forgot it and it was that bell's summer um brew and he's just like i could do this and i'm like okay he always does that like he's just like yeah no no no. this is easy i could probably do that i could make that um but it's always funny to hear him because he gets so like curious because he doesn't know he's just like so what is like 
do they have this all the time? I called such and such store and they didn't have it. I'm like, well, because it's specific to this time and you can get yeah, it. Seasonal, yeah, it's a seasonal, yeah. He's, he cracks me up because he's just very curious because he doesn't know that there's this whole entire world of like beer brewing. I mean, he does now, but at the time it was very, <laughs> like he drank Miller Lights yeah. no, I got and that was it. And now yeah. he's like this whole world of like stouts and this and that and whatever's and but i bought him that specific seasonal it was like this kit to make the beer and i'm like here you can make your own beer oh that's you cool. said you could do it so did he have fun was it what did he did yeah he, like doing he enjoyed, i mean i see he's doing it i mean it's kind of annoying because like if you're there when he wants to bottle the beer he will get you to start bottling the beer with him yeah um and so yeah so you're how just much there for it, hard labor. How much? <laughs> how much beer do you get out of one kit? How much is, um, it, a, is it a lot of? Is it a lot of beer? I feel like of... it's probably maybe a little more than a twenty-four pack. Okay, so you get like a case of, of beer then. Yeah. Yeah, you would do like a, it's probably like a case and some of beer. I mean, he's yeah. bottling it in bottles. He's he's not canning stuff. Yeah. But it's about yeah, I'd say like a twenty-four pack or so. Wow. Well, that's cool. Now I know I've had like on my old uh, on my old show over at uh, at the car wash, and uh, and you also uh, you know you were also uh, part of uh, Patty's show when she mm-hmm. was on at the car wash, and Patty had a lot of booze on her show. <laughs> she had yeah, a lot of booze on her show. Um, and uh, and I did when I was still a drinking man. I used to have uh, breweries guys come in. Uh, life, you know, the guys from. Um, the Haymarket would come in all the time. Pete, mm-hmm. Pete, Pete Crowley, who's one of the best beer brewers in the world, uh, would come in and, 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 and have that. And that became like a, for a while, it became, man, what was it? Early 2000s, I think it really hit its peak where everybody was making beer. You remember when that was like every, yeah. all the hipsters, every dude that you met in a bar was like, yeah, I make that on my own, man. You know? And, they were, <laughs> yeah. and everybody was making their own beer for a while. Is that, I guess that's still a thing. But I remember it hitting a peak around 2005 to about 2010-ish. Like, it was a huge, huge thing, uh, the home brewing thing. Um, now, I know, you, have you ever tried it? I know your dad has. Is anybody else? You have no, friends? I've never. I have friends who've tried it. Um, they're around the more uh, DIY side. Like, they want to do things. and. Um, but, no, I've never tried it myself i mean it's kind of you have to buy stuff (laughs) like you can't just you can't just be like oh i'm gonna do it in in a bucket over here it's like you kind of have to buy certain things to do it with it's it's more than i mean it's it is if it is a hobby you have to invest money and time you know what i mean it's not like you need some kind of space absolutely like most people i know who do it are either like if they've got like a man cave in their basement or they've got a garage most people do it in the garage Right. A lot of people, a lot of people that I know who have garage, I don't, I don't, I don't have a garage, but I know a lot of people who have like houses that have garages, um, you know, uh, at that time, that period of time between, you know, like the mid two thousands and the 2015 ish area, it was, it was mostly garages where people would go, mm-hmm. you know, where, where's, yeah. where's, where's your boyfriend? Oh, he's out in the fucking garage making beer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes it'd be really good. Like I, I had friends who made very, very cool beer, and sometimes they would add, you know, fruit to it and all kinds of weird mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, I mean, you, you know, you know, I mean, you bartended Esmeralda. You know the, the that you know the home brewing and then like the micro brews, how big they are. I mean, there's a micro brew two two blocks away from me. There's a you know there's a micro brew. They're on every other block. 
Yeah, um, where Colin used to work at the Twisted Hippo, down, they were right? yeah, they were um, homebrewers to start, and then they yeah. just you know they they honed their craft, and they eventually uh, started their own proper brewery. That's how that's how Pete Crowley started. Pete was a home brewer who eventually became like the head brewer at Rock Bottom, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, is is uh, is closing or has just closed. Um, I think it's gone. Gone. Yeah, it, but it, yeah, gone, uh, gone. but recently it closed recently because it was it right. Was, it, it was like on, it's on state and it was state, um, and grand, mm-hmm. grand, grand and state. And that place was great, uh, rock bottom. Uh, but they just closed or whatever. But he started there. He started as a home brewery. He started there, and then he opened up Haymarket, which is one of the most popular brewers and uh, in, you know independent microbrewers in the country. Um, and he had a beer called Matthias mm-hmm. that it's, I mean, it's still there. I just don't drink. I don't drink anymore. Uh, and it's one of the best beers I've ever tasted in my life. And Pete used to brew it and I used to, he used to give me growlers of it to bring home and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time I ever had, I was at, I was at Haymarket when they had just opened, they opened in like 2010 or 11. And I went in and, uh, and I was like, let me try the Matthias. And I tried it and, um, and it's a dark beer. It wasn't a stout, but it was dark. And it was smooth as hell, and it was delicious and lovely. And I had like three or four of them, and then I got up to pee, and suddenly I was like, whoa. Yeah, and like those, it was, those it was like beers. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I didn't tell you this, but it's like 12.8. I went, what? Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> mo- most of the time when you brew a beer that has is that high in alcohol content, yeah. You can't disguise it. Like you taste it, you go, "Oh God!" Like you know it's high in alcohol. You know what yeah. I mean? You can't. But this shit was so smooth. I had no. I seriously I had no idea. I had no idea. And he's like, "Yeah, nobody does." Like you could. <laughs> That's like, a bit serious, dangerous. <laughs> it is. No, it truly like. But normally they tell you. And but because I was his friend, he was pouring it for me and going, "Here, try this." You know what I mean? And I'm drinking it, and I'm like, "Wow, this is great!" And I got up to pee, and I'm like, "Whoa, Jesus Christ!" You know what I mean? It was like. Did I have a couple of shots and not know about it? And he was like, yeah, because, uh, you know. But normally when you have alcohol content that high in a beer, it doesn't taste very good. Right. But Matthias, if you if you want a high alcohol content and you want it to taste good, try Matthias. Let me just say that <laughs> at Haymarket. I mean, if you're a beer connoisseur, you know, uh, and you want to you maybe get a nice little kick in your ass, uh, Matthias will do that. It has that huge alcohol content, but it doesn't sacrifice the taste. It's a really delicious beer. Mm. It really is, and I highly recommend it. I can't have it, you know, because I'll be up, you know. Right. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, but it's delicious. And again, be careful though, <laughs> because it tastes so so good, Esmeralda, that you will mm-hmm. forget. You will forget because every time you have, and you know this, every time you have a beer that has a high alcoholic content, every time you take a sip, you're reminded of that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas here, it's like, oh man, you know, it tastes so good. It's so smooth. It's got a wonderful taste to it. And next thing you know, you can't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful. But you ever have those guys who come in, who would come into the bar and try to like sell you on their beer, like the, and they're distributors, like local distributors. You ever have that kind of stuff? You ever when you? Were oh working? no, 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 because we were so small. Like nobody really. I mean, half the time people didn't know we even existed there. So <laughs> I don't think. A lot of people came in to sell, or if they did, it was like, I don't yeah. know, you have to talk to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, 
I mean, that bar is still, they, it's still open, right, on Belmont? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I haven't been there in such a long time. I I, I love that place, the brain. That was a terrific bar. It really was. So anyway, um, all right. Uh, so brewing. So your dad. Uh, so that that got us from like uh, TV shows where people are drinking wine at dinner. You know, where like it's weird for me because like I you know grew up in a, like a working class house where like you know we would have like craft macaroni and cheese and stuff. Like it's st- I don't see them busting out wine. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> What wine goes with Kraft macaroni and cheese? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure someone's figured it out. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is some sort of pairing. Everything gets gets the pairing. Is there anything else uh, from this uh, article about uh, TV and movie characters that act differently than us that uh, kind of stood out for you? Anything else? Uh, well, I actually think people do this in real life. Um, and uh, it's the... I'm easily influenced by movies and TV, but I still close the curtains on my windows. See, the thing is, people don't do that. So that's actually, this one should not be on the list. Because people in real life don't close their damn curtains on their windows half the time. It's true. It's absolutely (laughs) true. Um, It is. It is true. And and I don't think it really matters where you live. It's much more common in high-rises. Yeah. And, like, a a lot more, like, rich people. Yes. For some yeah. reason, just love to have their windows wide open. <laughs> like you know, when when we were working at the uh, at the car wash, mm-hmm. uh, and we moved from the Trib Building to Wacker, um, in the studio that I was that I used, uh, it was right across the street from uh, a high rise, mm-hmm. and there were at least three or four windows because we were on the 18th floor when we when we moved uh, to Wacker. And um, so you could like, and there were no curtains on our windows because it was a radio studio. You could pull down right. blind. You could pull down blinds, but I always had them up. I always had the blinds up. Um, and you could see out. And, and there were at least four or five, uh, uh, you know, apartments or room or whatever, you know, big fancy apartments in the high rises where I could just see people walking around with their balls hanging out, like just one. <laughs> you know, just I mean, around. I guess because they got those windows, and you know, yeah. And I guess because they you think gotta use them. I'm eighteen. I'm eighteen stories up, so it doesn't matter. I can walk around with my blinds right. open and, and my ass hanging out, and nobody's going to notice. Like, but okay, <laughs> but I could see it, and I, you know, and and it's a I, it's a common thing. It's it's a cliche in movies where people look. I mean, shit, Rear Window. <laughs> they made a whole yeah. Alfred Hitchcock made a whole movie about it. Um, but it's it is real. So you know, yeah, it is in this article. But no, that's a that's. That's one of the few things in this article that's actually absolutely true. People do do that. So many people. And I'm always confused. I'm just like, how do you just leave your blinds open like that? I mean, I get it. The sun, whatever. But then, you know, if you're walking around at night and you can see straight into people's houses, I'm like, whatever. You go ahead. You do your thing. I know. Especially it's it's the rich people. And I'm like, okay, I guess you want to get robbed. (laughs) I agree. I totally think it's weird. And I'll tell you what. I've just noticed this. I was walking back from the Music Box Theater the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was walking down Southport north uh, to get to Irving to get to the bus because the Music Box is located between Addison and Irving on Southport. And so I'm walking down Southport, and they've got those basement you know, garden apartments, those nice, fancy-ass apartments on Southport. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking past, and there I can look right into this person's 
apartment. They've got like you can look into the window. You're and they're at your. It's at your feet. You look down. You look in, and then right. there's, oh. you just look straight, straight into straight their in the eye. And there's people just like laying on the couch with their balls hanging out, and they got their TV. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, close your fucking blinds. I mean, this is like literally. It's not like a high rise where you're across because we were across the street in another building. Yeah. This this is me walking down the street and I could bend over and literally <laughs> stick my head in their window and go, "Hey, you know what I mean?" I, it's just weird. I don't understand. Like yeah. my, I live on the second floor like Luca. And uh and my and my blinds are closed all the time. Like my blinds are closed. Oh, I always, time. yeah. They're always closed or they're flipped in the way that you can't see in. I mean, yes, I'm on the second floor too and you can't yep. really look in anyway. Yep. But yeah, I they're, just I, uh, I yeah. don't want people looking at me <laughs> when I have the window when I have the windows open if it's you know if it's nice out uh, I'll have the windows open a little bit I'll pull the blinds up just a little to keep the window open yeah you know f- yeah. for the window to get a breeze in <laughs> but outside of that and they're and and, and, and like you as well they're closed the opposite way so that you can't even see through the cracks yeah it's yeah. just wide open and I'm like exactly. all right. Yeah. Don't get and, mad if I'm gawking at all your stuff. Yeah, look at all. Yeah, I know. And this the other thing is like like this apartment that I looked into as I was walking to the bus stop on Southport, man, they had some really nice high end shit. I mean if you're living <laughs> if you're living in an apartment or a condo on Southport in Wrigleyville, you're paying a bunch. You know what I mean? Right. You're paying you're paying a lot. So these are people who make money. And I walk in, I'm looking, I'm like, well, that's a really nice TV. Look at that. That's fantastic. What a great piece of furniture. And they had a cat. Oh, the cat's nice, you know. Looked and I knew that from walking past and just glancing, yeah, <laughs> right into their house. Yeah, I don't understand that, but it's that, that. But that's just not in the movies, as we're saying right now, proving that this article is wrong. Yeah. Now here's one. Here's one really quickly. Um, and uh, it's people in sitcoms never leave the room to discuss a person. They simply take a few steps back and speak at a regular volume without worrying about the person hearing them. That's true. Yeah, that you they see that whisper. is <laughs> they just whisper a little lot. It's like, yeah, I feel like I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it also. It, I mean, you can't fool anybody. The picture that they have is from uh, is from Friends mm-hmm. that they have in the article, and it's it's uh, Jennifer Aniston and and Lisa Kudrow in the kitchen, which is not really a kitchen. You're it's like five feet away from the couch. Right. And Elliot Gould is drinking a beer on the couch and they're talking about Elliot Gould and he's literally four and a half feet away from them. <laughs> and he's just like, do, 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 do. Yeah. He can't hear them. <laughs> There's like an invisible wall. But, you know, they like put up the invisible wall. They do that in plays too. Where you do like right. this. Right. Well, you do the, I mean, that's, you know, you don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. You're on one stage. Yeah. And it's like they do this, what they call the stage, do a stage whisper, which means hmm. whisper, but the audience has to hear you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you do the stage whisper, but that, but that that means that you have to kind of fuck with reality a little bit, the theatrical world, mm-hmm. so that you have to suspend your your belief and your disbelief uh, because they're going to stage whisper, and you have to imagine that everybody else on that stage can't hear the stage whisper. You know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just like yeah. also the idea that someone is stepping back to talk about you. Like, wouldn't that just in that action, <laughs> like you see two people and they're looking at you too yeah. while they're talking and it's like, okay, thank you. Hi. <laughs> and like gesturing, maybe they like, they do the cover of the mouth. Like, you know, put your hand over yeah. the shield. It's like, go to another like, room. You're Dang. clearly fucking talking about me. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? 
uh, you ever you ever catch somebody like making a gesture behind your back or like uh, eye contact with someone? You know what I mean? Like like behind your back. You ever turn around and catch somebody doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sure I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of anything specific. Yeah. Um, but I'm We're, sure it's happened. Yeah, where they're like behind you, making like no, no, like you know, like don't mention, you know, like <laughs> I caught I caught someone. Uh, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine. We were at uh, we were at like mm. a dinner. We were at a dinner, and um, we were dating at the time. She wasn't my ex. Oh, at the time okay. we were dating. And we were dating at the time, and her brother was in town, and we were sitting at the table, and her brother b- brought up uh, her her previous boyfriend mm. at the table. Okay. And and I was and I did not like her previous boyfriend. We knew each other, you know what I mean. And he was a dick, you know. Mm-hmm. And I did not like. You know, I wasn't, you know, I, I was like, you know, it was a bone of, it was like a, a weird, like a bone of contention. Like you ever date somebody and the person that they dated in their past, you're like, how the fuck could you date that? Per-? You know what I mean? Yeah. You ever, like, <laughs> yeah. why would you, da- you know what I mean? You ever have that? Like an ex of, of, of somebody yeah. that you're with? How the fuck could you have dated that? Per-? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I hated this guy that she had dated and it was right before me. This was a guy that she dated right before me. Mm-hmm. Um, and her brother brought up his name and I didn't say anything. And I was looking at her brother and then like, she was sitting to my right and her brother was sitting to my left and her brother said, yeah, uh, remember when we went out to blah, blah, blah with, and then she, you know, he named this guy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, obviously I'm not going to make a scene. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, you know, right. I'm not going to be a dick about it. I wasn't pleased to hear this guy's name, you know? <laughs> Um, but she, yeah, he's like, Hey, remember that time we went to whatever restaurant with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm looking at him, we're having the conversation. All of a sudden I I feel something to my right and I look and my ex-girlfriend is like giving him a look like, no, no. You know, like, like the, you know, the whole, you know, the whole, like cut it off with your, you know, like, uh, where you're waving your hand by your neck, like don't do it. Yeah. She's like no, and doing that, and I and I turn and I look, <laughs> and she's in the she's in mid cut off, you know. Wow. <gasps> and I and and I was like, and and I look and I'm like, it's okay, don't worry. about it. It's like a dang movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was literally. I caught her going, no, don't, you know, like right in the middle of it, and she had to like pretend <laughs> pretend she was scratching her neck, you know what I mean? Or something. Oh, sure, of course, <laughs> just yawning, you know. Uh, so, but yeah, anyway. But that uh, that falls into this category as well. Um, how about um, when people propose, when like men propose to women, or or vice versa, mm-hmm. in TV shows or in movies, it's always very dramatic, and they say the full name of the person that they're proposing yeah. to. Is that a thing? Like, do people? So I'm saying people don't do that. Um, well, I proposed twice. And did you say the names? No, maybe I names? should have. Maybe I'd still be married. You just went, I hey, you. I just went, hey, Jagoff. <laughs> hey, Jagoff, here's a ring. Shut up. Take it. <laughs> uh, no, I did not say, because the, the, the ones that they have are, that they have as an example are from, uh, like, Gilmore Girls. When Logan says, Rory Gilmore, will you be my wife? Fully mm-hmm. says Rory Gilmore. Um, and I guess... What's the show? Uh, where's your mom? I, I met your mom. How I met. Where's your mom? Uh, how I met your mother. <laughs> where's your mom? Yeah, the show's called Where's Your Mom. <laughs> I mean, essentially, um, he's looking for her. 
in this picture that they have in the article, I guess uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris said, Robin Sherbatsky, will you be my wife? Robin Sherbatsky. Right. Um, and then uh, Steve Carell in the office says, Holly Flax, will you be my will you be my wife? So I don't know if that's a thing. But I, I can I can tell you this from personal experience. I didn't give a full name when I You uh, just went you just looked at him? Well the f- Was that enough? The look was enough. Well the first and time ring, we, of course. <laughs> the first time got all the first time got all fucked up. Uh the both of them got fucked up, actually. Oh boy. <laughs> well off because, to a great start. Because like I had hidden the ring underneath. I was living with both of them at the time. Both both women that I ended up marrying, we were living together first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first uh, time was I put the ring underneath her pillow because okay. she uh, would always take a nap. She she was a waitress and she came home. And she was also in this play that I directed, and we had a performance that night. It was a play called White Trash Wedding and a Funeral, and she was in it. And uh, she would work in the morning and then come home and take a nap before we would go to the theater for the show. And I sometimes would nap with her. Mm -hmm. So I put the ring under her pillow before she got home from work because I knew that she would take a nap before we went to the theater. And she always, like, moved the pillow and stuck her arms underneath the pillow every time she went to bed. And she gets into bed and does none of that. Like, puts her head right on the pillow. No movement. You know what I mean? Like, she always would stick her hand under the pillow. (laughs) And this one time when I put the ring under the pillow, Mm -hmm. she just puts her head on the pillow and falls asleep. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? She knew. (laughs) And so I kept, like, moving shit. And I was, like, moving her pillow. You know what I mean? Without saying anything. And she's like... What yeah. are you doing? She got pissed at me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's trying to take a nap. Exactly. Man. She's trying to nap. I got to, you know, I got to do this fucking show that you directed you at. You know what I mean? And so, and so she's like pissed, getting pissed, and like moving the pillow and stuff. I'm moving her pillow. What the fuck is wrong with you? She's getting mad at me. So finally I had to reach under and pull the ring out. And she was like mad until she saw the ring and then it was fine. And then, you know, the proposal. Well, happened. of course, I would hope so. Yeah. But she was mad. I'm like, the buildup, I just wanted her to reach under the pillow like she did 20 times out of 20 before that. To reach under the pillow and go, what is this box? Oh, you know what I mean? That's what I wanted to happen. <laughs> but instead, I had to jar her out of her sleep while she had worked, you know, all day waitressing. Good then, job. Then the other time, <laughs> I hid the ring in the cat food, in the dry cat food. What in the hell? Okay. Because she always, when she got home, she would get home and she would always feed uh, our cat, the fat. We had a gigantic cat named Mr. Ruffle, coconut Mm -hmm. head. And she would always come home and the first thing that she would do is feed the cat. And so she would open up the, it was in a jug, it was in like a big plastic jug. The cat food was, we put the dry, a big plastic jug. And there was like a scooper that she had. And I was hoping that she would reach in and, and because the ring was in there, it was in a box and it was in there. And I hope that she and I was wanting her to scoop it up in the cat food and go, hey, what's this? And so what she did instead was what she did instead was she was acting all goofy with the cat. And she started to take the cat food, which was in a like, uh, like a container that had a screw, a screw top lid on it. Mm-hmm. And she started to shake it like crazy, like a maraca because she was like dancing with the cat. And I was like, because ah! the ring is inside. The ring. 
Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> so yeah um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my engagements didn't work out very well they weren't planned yeah. so i Maybe woke up putting things in places well like i'm not going to ever do it again there's no fucking chance of that happening so don't worry about that <laughs> but yeah like the, she suddenly is like like out of nowhere she just decides she's going to shake the cat food violently what you know what i mean when her engagement <laughs> ring is in there um so. yeah so anybody proposing out there don't don't put anything just give it to them just, yeah, give them give the damn thing and, and don't say their full name so <laughs> all right all right well uh-oh hi i'm carrie russell and hi, i carrie. love nick's show okay she would have not screwed up the proposal if i proposed to her <laughs> maybe who knows i think she would have known something yeah. was up yeah. Her her TV her TV show senses would tingle. Yeah. She would know. There's something in that in in the cat food. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh hey my dad's here. Are you ready for this? Oh, hi. Uh, hi. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go. With your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah. All right, Dad. Let's uh, let's uh, we can't have a Tuesday without my dad telling a joke. Here he is. Did you hear about the constipated composer? He got stuck on his last movement. Nice. Jesus, that was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. <laughs> that was good. That's like good. That was good. One. Stuck on its uh, on its second movement. Very, very. It good. had some class to it. <laughs> constipation jokes that's classy well no because you know like but it like gets you because it's classy because it's the the classical music or classical music composer that's right Mm -hmm. that's my dad he'll tell a joke next time too uh all right esmeralda thank you we will talk uh uh, a little bit more about tv and movie characters that do crazy shit and uh and if colin ever proposes to you let me know how that goes no thanks (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly why i brought it that's exactly why I brought it nah. up. Uh, <laughs> nah, I'm good. <laughs> All right, my thanks to uh, the lovely Amy Guth for uh, telling us some great stories about uh, being in an Elvis uh, uh, costume, which is always a lot of nice. fun. Um, and uh, and Esmeralda. And join us next time. Matt Carr is going to join us. Matt is a manager at the Music Box Theater, and they are screening the classic William Castle horror movie with Vincent Price, House on Haunted Hill, and they're bringing back Emerjo. Yeah, where the movie theater itself is going to be haunted, and we'll tell you all Ooh. about that. And the and uh, actually the, uh, the the great history of William Castle. So Matt Carr from Music Box Theater will join me, and I hope that you join me too. Be a part of the podcast. Voicemail seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight. Email nickdpodcast at gmail dot com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for doing all the themes. Thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Check us out at radiomisfits.com and anywhere you get your podcast. Rate and review us on every platform. Uh, you want to uh, buy some sponsorship and some ads? Sales at RadioMisfits.com. And listen to our streaming service. It's like a radio station. It's cool as hell. 24-7. Uh, RadioMisfits.live. RadioMisfits.live. You can hear this podcast daily at 3 p.m. And my SNL podcast daily at 9 a.m. 
So uh, that way uh, you should you can hear it right uh, right there on your device. So there you go. All right. So thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next time on the Nick D podcast. <laughs>